I didn't see you there. Welcome to a brand new episode of, of, uh, of Bad History. Bad History. Um, yeah, my name's Steven, and uh, I'm joined, uh, as always, by uh, my best pal, Dave. What's up, Dave? Hey, Steven. So, uh, so welcome back to... How you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. So, welcome back to a brand new episode of Bad History. Bad History! Doing that again, huh? Okay, cool. Um... I just flipped the shit. Yeah, I bet. I bet you did. Uh, Oh, God. We got a very exciting episode planned for you today. We are going to be talking about unsung heroes in history. Is that what we're talking about? Shit. No, uh, yeah. Fuck. End the fucking podcast. We're done. Dave, we're done. I don't don't care. I don't even fucking care. So today we're talking about underrated people in history. So, um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Thank, oh, I'm glad I'm glad you caught on so quickly. So yeah, so You're anybody welcome. so welcome. so Yeah, thanks, I guess. Uh <laughs> So throughout history there tends to be, you know, you there, there you know the famous saying, Dave? Do you know which one I'm kind of do you know which one I'm going towards? Yeah, don't eat that yellow snow because right, right. you will get sick. Don't eat the yellow snow. Um and then right underneath that part 2 it says history is written by the winners. Have you heard of this before? Fuck. You. Yeah. I'm out of here. No, I'm not. You got to let me finish, dude. All right. Um, So, it's just you and I now. Oh, okay. All right. Damn it. Well, um, so I was about to say, Dave, before you so rudely interrupted, that it's a bullshit. (laughs) It's a a bullshit bullshit. phrase. (laughs) It's in my hand. I'm holding this bullshit. Okay. There is some truth, right? History does tend to remember certain people over others, I would say. Would you agree with me? Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're going to be focused on today. We're going to be looking at two very different people and the impact that they had on history and the fact that the history books don't really remember them. So, uh, but Well, like certain history books. My person's history. actually like super duper famous, but not in Western like schools. Cool. So little disclaimer there but anyway steven do you want to know what i did this week yeah yeah why don't you just go ahead and tell me (laughs) okay so this week um i played a lot of this one video game called super mario maker where you make mario levels you did fucking not yeah it's pretty fun um it's really addicting and you like just make levels and you play through them and you play through other people's levels it was super fun because I love Mario, because Mario is super cool. What else do we do? We're still on James Bond month. We are Where are you done. at? Oh, we're, we're um, at Dalton now. Okay. So, it, we're in the 80s. <laughs> we still got, God, Roger Moore's. I know everybody loves Roger Moore, but God, fuck, those movies are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> are those, like, the really silly? Yeah, they're oh, the really yeah, silly ones. Yeah. Like... There's uh, in Moonraker. We were watching Moonraker. There's a scene where he drives like a a gondola car through Venice's streets, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone's like freaking out. And they have a shot of a pigeon, and they edit it to make it look like the pigeon does a double take. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Fuck yes! <laughs> It's it was not. some ju- guy's job to edit that page pigeon into doing a double take. Yeah. Oh man. I'm. I'm. Dalton's a bit more serious. So I'm really excited that we're back into that. He's not quite. It's not quite Craig serious. Yeah. But you gotta. You gotta strike a balance. So that's continuing. 
Um, I went to law school orientation. That was super scary. I wore like a suit. Mm. I got all nice and dressed up. And they told me how shitty my life was going to be for a few years. And I said, bring it on. Uh, other than that, my week has been pretty sleepy. Nice. Uh, what about you, Steven? Did you see any good movies? Did you read any good books or play any good video games this week? Uh, so this week, I have been... I've been all over the place. Like it's, it feels like it feels like I haven't gotten a chance to sleep, really, which isn't a lie. I mean, obviously, if I hadn't had a chance to sleep, um, I'd be, be dead, fucking dead. Yeah, I'd be de- dead AF. But uh, I've been all over the place. I came back from Charleston and I was in Columbia for like a day, uh, like literally just a little over twenty four hours, and in that time period for like half of that maybe a little less probably a little less i was working on my comprehensive exam for my master's degree oh it's getting close um yeah it's weird and then after then on friday afternoon i drove to the mountains of north carolina north carolina north north cackalack yeah as they call it and i hung out there yep 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 and i hung out there for a few days and that was a fucking blast and then I got back Sunday night at like six and stayed up till midnight finishing up my comprehensive exam. Have you spent a weekend home at in... Bernie's? What? No, continue. Have you have you <laughs> a weekend at Bernie's? Jesus Christ! Have you have you spent like a weekend home at your apartment in the past month? No, or... no, I don't. I don't think you no. have. Um, <laughs> not alone. Anyway, I had some friends come. And stay with me, not last weekend or the weekend before, but the weekend before that. So like three weeks ago, yeah. um, for St. Patty's Day because it's really big in Colombia, and so they came for that. But oh, then nice. I haven't had a weekend where it's just been me in this apartment since February. Jesus, yeah, probably. It's you been nuts, popular, dude. motherfucker. No, it's just been like a insane. Should we move on to, like, the history and shit? I think we should play the music. Let's do this. play that music. Okay, Steven. Yeah, Dave. So, you know that I am a fan of video games. And I'm also a fan of literature. Mm-hmm. So, this next character, um, this character over here... <laughs> <laughs> the guy I want to talk about, who's the an underrated uh, historical figure, is actually a main character in uh, a video game series that I used to play when I was a little kid. Oh, really? As, yeah, known as Dynasty Warriors. And it was oh, like on, nice. Yeah, it was like on PlayStation and PlayStation 2. Um, it was a fighting game at first, which I like had a lot of fun with. I still have it. I played it recently, and it sucks really bad really it did, <laughs> yeah it, it didn't it didn't age well oh no, no it, it, it was not it like looks, a fine wine it looks like shit but um <laughs> the, the other games later on in the series are pretty fun uh i'm doing cow cow who uh he was a warlord and chancellor during the end of china's han dynasty uh he lived in 155 ce to 220 ce uh, and he was also known as the founder and ruler of the kingdom of Wei during the three kingdoms phase of Chinese history. 
Uh, and like I said, he's a main character of the video game Dynasty Warriors and also of the historical novel by Luo Guanzhong, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, which is like a super important historical piece of literature, especially in Chinese history, especially in Eastern history, Eastern Asian history. But a lot of people don't know in sort of Western education about Cao Cao. And they hear that name and they think, ha moo. But <laughs> that's, he's, it's, he's actually super important and he's super revered. And, uh, I just want to give you the story of his life. So Hand let's it to do me. it. So the historical background, uh, was Cao Cao was born into a political family during the Han dynasty of China and the Han dynasty lasted from the year 206 BCE to the year 220 CE. So a little over 400 years, which is a pretty good dynasty. That's it, it, When you're going for dynasties, that's like the number you were looking for. That's a pretty good one, right? Especially yeah. in China. Um, and as a child and a teenager, Cao Cao was noted as being extremely intelligent and politically motivated. Uh, there was this sort of thing called an evaluator back then, and, and this really famous evaluator claimed when Cao Cao was a teenager that he would either be a capable minister in peaceful times, and he would also be an unscrupulous hero in chaotic times. And this Very was cool. sort of like an omen, you know, and it was a big deal to a lot of people. And, and you know, this is, you know, the dawn of the new millennia kind of almost so like you know superstition and spirituality are like super big to a lot of people right so this this was seen like uh sort of like a soothsayed omen sort of like uh an oracle delphi kind of you know like this guy people were like oh fuck this guy's gonna be fucking cool as shit and so <laughs> this guy's gonna be fucking cool <laughs> it's like fucking chinese Get this people dude a fucking the beer. he's fucking cool 1600 so you're like fucking not 16, 160. Jesus, a lot older than that. They're like, fucking cow cow, man. Get out of this, guy, this guy's way. He's going to be a capable minister or a fucking unscrupulous hero. That is a direct quote, by the way. Unscrupulous so, hero. Unscrupulous hero in chaotic times. So cow cow began moving up the political ladder, and he made a lot of friends, and of course he made a lot of enemies. But he was well known for his equalitarian punishment of all peoples. And uh, this sort of got him into a lot of trouble early on because, as you might know, China was classist as fuck back then, right? The class yeah. system <laughs> was super duper in place. You've got peasants, and then you've got, like, nobles, and you've got, like, fucking political people, and there's a huge divide between poor and rich. So a story from this instance is while he was a district captain of Luoyang, which was the capital at the time, he ordered his staff to punish anybody who violated his laws, regardless of status. And one night they caught an influential guy out past curfew and flogged him nice. <laughs> and, uh, in the streets. And the people in charge were like, fuck, this guy's fucking insane. He's going to upset the status quo. But he was seen as sort of like, you know, a equalizing hero so to get rid of him they promoted him uh to be governor of somewhere far away from the capital right so they're just like hey cow cow you're really great so we uh, want you to be governor of somewhere just fucking it's way over there and of course he took it and he was gracious and he became governor of this province far away from the capital 
where they thought they're done with Cow Cow, he's going to be gone. But something really important happened, and it's called the Yellow Turban Rebellion, okay? This is like one of the most important events in Chinese history. It happened in 184 CE, and the Yellow Turban Rebellion was a peasant uprising caused by an agrarian crisis. And the rebels were yellow turbans, and many associated themselves with this cultish Taoist sect, uh, led by this leader named Zhang Zhu, who was a healer, a holy man, and, uh, you know, he sort of rallied the peasantry together. And this is the sure. beginning of the rise of Cao Cao to military power. So Cao Cao is called back to the capital, and he's appointed the head of the cavalry. And, uh, this, this like rebellion is so important because the Han dynasty is old. It's almost 400 years old. It's starting to stagnate. And this is the really, this is really the beginning of the end of the Han dynasty because all of these warlords who are called in, like Cao Cao, to, to help suppress the rebellion begin to realize just how much power they have, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So the great warlords of China, they unite and they stop this rebellion. And, uh, the families that headed this, uh, they spearheaded this anti-rebellion cause, uh, became the leaders of the future conflicts that I am going to tell you about later. Um, so Cao Cao, you know, he got a lot of prowess. He was this military leader during the Yellow Turban Rebellion. He was young. He wasn't 30 yet, but he had established himself politically and he continued to grow his alliance. And this guy named Dong Zhuo, decided, fuck this Han Dynasty bullshit, and he led his army to the capital and just deposed the emperor. And this was a guy who was actually involved in the Yellow Turban Rebellion. So like I said, all these guys are realizing how fucking powerful they are. And so one dude finally said, fuck it. And he deposed the emperor and set up a new puppet. And uh, Cao Cao rejected this new emperor and left the capital to return to his hometown. And over the next year, he grew his army and joined a new coalition that consisted of the leftovers of the major players from the Yellow Turban Rebellion. And they decided to sack the capital and end this imposter's rule. Nice. But Cao Cao was one of the only members of the coalition who actively fought, whose troops actively saw battle, just on the nature of war back then. Like Mm -hmm. we've talked about before, wars lasted years, and battles were not constant you know what i mean and uh this made cow cow and his friends and his allies and his coalition a little a little salty why are we the only ones fighting against this false emperor we're in this huge coalition so the coalition fell apart and then china fell into civil war between the former coalition members and that guy who took over dong zhuo he was just killed eventually actually by a fabled Chinese folk legend and warrior named Lu Bu, but that's a completely different story. So, what we have now is civil war in China, and Cao Cao is at the head of one of the three major uh, kingdoms, mm-hmm. and this time is known as the War of the Three Kingdoms. The beginnings of the War of the Three Kingdoms happen right after this coalition breaks up. The three kingdoms are Wu, Shu, and Wei. And Cao Cao ruled the kingdom of Wei. He fought against his former allies from the Yellow Turban Rebellion and the Dong Zhuo Alliance. This included the leader of Wu, whose name was Sun Quan. Actually, a little interesting fact about Sun Quan. I'm trying to keep the names to a minimum, but I thought this was really interesting. 
Sun Quan uh, claimed he was a descendant, a direct descendant of Sun Tzu, as in Art of War Sun Tzu. Really? So they share the same surname. The same surname, yeah. So the ruler of Wu had this huge mystical sort of uh, legacy behind him. You know, like his ancestor yeah. essentially invented warfare. And <laughs> he was kind of a Chinese folk hero. So the back and forth turmoil or turmoil and civil war really not never saw um, an absolute leader or victor during Cao Cao's lifetime, and this is because the struggle was essentially a balance of power. Right, there were three uh, kingdoms, and they constantly fought, and this presented a difficult opportunity because while two were fighting, one could wait on the sidelines and attack the weakened victor. Mm-hmm. And then win the conflict, right? And all three of them were totally aware of this. And they were weary of all-out war. And all-out war would come later, but much after Cao Cao's death. So while the Three Kingdoms sort of had this stalemate war, Cao Cao went a conquering. And he unified <laughs> all of northern China under his rule and spread so far north as to be into present-day Korea, right? Wow. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, a moment of weakness. It's called the Battle of the Red Cliffs, where the coalition of the Shu and Wu forces wanted to stop Cao Cao campaigning south. So like I've said before, it's a balance of power act between these three forces. They would make uh, hodgepodge alliances to suit their needs for a moment. And then when it was over, they'd go back to hating each other. And then when any one of the three powers became too strong, you know, a coalition was formed. And right. this really erupted into the War of the Three Kingdoms later on. Like, full-scale war. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the Battle of the Red Cliffs, Cao Cao was stopped, and he could no longer campaign south. He had his territory, it was unified, it was fine, and the three forces sort of sat on each other's borders, just staring each other down. And Cao Cao died at the age of 65. And uh, he wished to be buried without any gold or any physical treasures, right? And 65 is a pretty decent age back then, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he was considered an older guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he commanded that his friends and his generals were not allowed to attend his funeral, saying, the country is still unstable and they have work to do. Wow. That's badass. So Ka- it's pretty badass. Cao Cao's son, whose name's Cao Pi or Cao Pai, I'm sorry, um, saying cow pee is a little difficult without giggling, and uh, we don't want to repeat Perdiccas. Perdiccas. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so Cow Cow's son, Cow Pee, succeeded him and created what was known as the First Empire of Wei. And uh, Cow Cow was actually posthumously titled the Grand Ancestor, Emperor Wu of Wei. And this is wow, really important nice. because if you, if you know anything about... Um, Chinese culture and Chinese religion and Chinese spirituality, uh, ancestors and revering uh, the dead and the spirits of your forefathers was like super duper important, right? right. Like this was their sort of uh, spirituality. So to give this like this title to his his dead father was like a really big honor, and it also really secured his sort of claim to being the new emperor and really interesting uh just a side note on december 27th 2009 the tomb of cow cow was discovered was actually discovered in shigaoju village and uh while they were digging up they found a stone tablet there uh and it claimed here lies king wu of wei 
Nice. Which was, oh, man. Cow Cow. And a museum, a museum has recently been constructed on the site, and it's called the Cow Cow Mausoleum Museum. So that history is very recent. We now actually know, one, that, you know, he's a real person, and he was a real emperor and a real king. It's not all just hearsay, blah, 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 literature and art. We have his fucking bones. They found the skeleton of a 60-ish year old man in this too. Yeah, it's nuts, dude. They fucking found him. They found Cow Cow. Um, so a little bit about Cow Cow personality-wise. Um, he was often described as a ruthless tyrant in sort of modern literature. But at the time, and still to this day, he's, he was known to be a military genius. He won many battles with odds and numbers stacked against him. Uh, a famous battle he actually won with 20,000 soldiers up against 100,000. And he won it by sort of like the beauty and dance of war. He did these modern tactics. He destroyed supply lines. He cornered them. He thermopolied them, right? And he won this great battle with a much weaker force. He was a skilled fighter and martial artist, as all the warlords at the time were sort of expected to be. Hell yes. But, but unlike others, he was also a skilled poet and writer who wrote many journals of his wartime experiences. But most importantly about Cao Cao, he's also known for his fierce loyalty to his friends and generals. And they acted as a platoon of soldiers. They actually fought together. His generals dismounted horses with swords and bow and arrows and fought together. That's and something several- you definitely don't see that often in history oh yeah definitely and and that that's why his allies were like so loyal to him several members of his entourage actually became famous warriors in their own right such as jahudun jahuan and dian wei and all these pledged full allegiance to cao cao and his family and the leaders of wei really acted as a as a family the, their friends they they fought to protect each other and mm-hmm. and that's how Wei was so powerful during the War of the Three Kingdoms is something Cao Cao didn't really have to worry too much about was this sort of political espionage and betrayal that um, befell other the other two kingdoms. There's actually an instance where <laughs> Cao Cao was sort of like asked to um, like join against this uh, other party. Right. And he said, no, uh, I don't want to do that because it's like against my code of honor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then instead, from the other guy's army, a defector informed Cow Cow of the location of supply depots because nice. of how like honorable he was. And that's like crazy unheard of. He, he had so much respect from all three armies. And he was like a super smart general and a super passionate warrior. And he's so important to the history of this time. He, he was a king. You know, he was one of the kings of the three kingdoms. And I think not many people in, uh, Western educated senses really know anything about Cow Cow. Um, and, and honestly, the only reason I do is because I, I played the shit out of those video games. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And it really like gatewayed me into this world. And it's a super interesting, uh, time period. The historical novel from, I think, the 16th century, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, I mentioned it by Luo Guanzhong, is a classic. It's a masterpiece of Chinese literature, and it it goes into great detail about these characters. So that is my underrated historical figure. And uh, like I said, 
any questions um there's so much information about this guy he's one of china's like great generals um mm-hmm. play the video games read the book watch the movies I don't know. <laughs> there's probably um, movies i'm sure I, I there's assume. movies he, he's just... he's almost napoleonic do you know yeah. what i mean i'm sure there's in, a in tight docudrama Oh, we got yo! You get on that docudrama. You eating that apple, yeah. cow, cow? You spin out that apple? Yeah, motherfucker. But anyway, that's my story. So, dude, good fucking scrolls, man. I, I like that a lot. Bro. Yeah, Thanks I, I, I heard a cow, cow. Didn't know. I knew nothing about him. Um, yeah. so it was good. Yeah, I think you know why. Or especially, I'm. I think we can only really attest to American education because that's what we. That's what we got. You know, yeah. Right, but we definitely. Asia is definitely a sore spot, like in terms of we don't cover it at all. And, yeah. and um, you know, in sixth grade, you'll cover it briefly in pre, I think it's pre fucking Steven ripping like, out the fucking standards. Now there we yeah, go. Dude. I want to say sixth grade goes up until the Renaissance and then seventh grade's modern. Yeah. I could be wrong though. Um, but yeah, so you so see you briefly, like I knew nothing about, Chinese history at all. I took a an, an Asian history class uh, in college that when I was a freshman, so I was like an idiot. And um, I wish I had taken that class as like a junior or senior. But um, did you guys talk about Cow Cow? I yeah, we definitely talked about the the three kingdoms. The War of the Three Kingdoms. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a super like fantasy time period for China in the sense that. Mm-hmm. It's this huge political struggle that lasted like 50 years and they're heroes and warriors and generals and personalities, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like super well studied. Like I said, that literature is is like so famous and so important. Mm-hmm. And um, like all these members, like Cao Cao is considered like a hero, like a warrior hero, you know. And it's hard to say like in America in history, we don't really have warrior heroes because... They weren't we really have fighting with swords on a battlefield. Do you know what no, I mean? No, that, that, that's true. I, I mean, we definitely have war heroes. Oh, yeah. I mean, we definitely have war heroes, but I mean, like, their war heroes were their generals, were their kings, who right. were the best warriors at the time. Do you know what no, I mean? No, I, I, I definitely agree with you. I that's how you. they got that power. So, uh, yeah. Cow Cow, super good, super cool guy. Um, yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, damn, dude. That was some good scrolls. I like that a lot. Sweet. Well, I'm yeah. ready to hear about your dude, Steven. Fucking Should play we that music. My fun guy. Okay, Dave. Yo. So let's shift gears a little bit. Fucking shift. Just a little bit. Because uh, I'm going to be talking about someone who is totally, completely different from from your guy from cacao yeah bulbul cacao uh so the guy i'm gonna be talking about did fight but not in the way that your dude fought not in the traditional sense he fought fought using the law he Mm. fought in the courtrooms and the guy i'm gonna be talking about who i think is one of the most underrepresented people in u.s history is charles hamilton houston Charles have you ever heard Hamilton of- Houston? Have you ever heard of Charles Hamilton Houston, Dave? Yeah, he's the uh, the guy. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Mm-hmm. He is the guy who 
um, discovered the town of Houston, Texas, and he said, whoa, look at this fucking place. Look at all these people living here. It's like a metropolis. They got their own fucking NFL team and shit. I should name this place after me. So that guy, right? Yep, that's it. You got it. Got it in one. I'm just going to stop. All right, and we're done. All right, good podcast, Dave. Good podcast. Um, No, so the the Charles Hamilton Houston is one of the most influential people on uh, the civil rights movement. He's he's he's, he's, he he's one of the one of the most important leaders of the civil rights movement, but we don't generally consider him a leader of the civil rights movement. But um, see, and, really, and like, here's the thing is I didn't know based on name alone, this guy. And like, right. That's a part right. of history that I thought I had been well-educated on. So, well, and, and, and there's a reason for that is because the civil rights movement is generally taught um, from like the, in, in this theme that really, from from like the protest and sit-in side you know what i mean so it's it's taught it's taught in this theme where like the protest and the sit-ins sit-ins are what won the civil rights movement oh yeah definitely. and what and what and what uh kind of led to the expansion of civil rights for african-americans in the 50s and 60s um and obviously these are really important uh these are very very important things that happened and they are definitely one you know one side of the coin but this other side of the coin is the the battle that was fought in the courtrooms because there was this huge battle that happened in the courtrooms and that was really headed up by for the majority of the civil rights movement by Charles Hamilton Houston. There you go. Um he's actually widely considered to be the man who killed Jim Crow. And Fucking so stabbed him in right, the right, neck. right in the neck. Um so Jim Crow, as I'm sure most people know, are the laws that were put into place um in kind of the early you know, late late 1800s, early 1900s that were discriminatory segregation laws. And so that that's what Jim Crow is. That's what, when, we, when we say Jim Crow, we're talking about those Jim Crow laws. Yeah, so, there's not a... I mean, there might have been, but we're not talking about a guy. Right. You know? Um. No. Uh, <laughs> the history of Jim Crow laws is very interesting. I'm not going to get into it now, but I would look it up because it's... it's you, you, can, you can kind of read about it in a few minutes and it's pretty interesting stuff. But anyway, so... One thing I really like, and I kind of want to start off with this quote because I think it sums up who Houston really is. Uh, he has a quote saying, I would rather die on my feet than live on my knees. Fucking and, metal yeah, he's shit. Very passionate about what he what he did. Uh, he suffered from a very uh, bad heart. And in fact, he died in his 50s um, from a heart attack. And, uh, you know, 50s is not that old. Um, and unfortunately, he died before he could kind of see the fruits of his labor. Um, but he, you know, when the, when the doctor said, hey, you need to, like, cool it and, like, you know, you need to retire and stop, stop, you know, working so much, that that's what he said. He said, I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. Um, so Fuck Houston was yeah. born. Yeah, yeah, very, very, you know, very honorable, very cool. Uh, so Houston was born in Washington, D.C. and graduated from Amherst College in 1915. Um, and then from 1917 to 1919, Houston served in the U.S. Army. Um, he, you know, he was never overseas uh, serving. He served on a military base in Maryland. And this experience uh, really pushed him to want to pursue law because when he was in the Army in on base in Maryland, he he received so much discrimination uh from you know his 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 fellow white soldiers from his you know commanding officers from you know the leadership involved and he just saw so much discrimination on himself and his fellow african-american soldiers and he 
that really upset really upset him I, as obviously it would but it, you know that's really what drove him to want to pursue law and he realized yeah. he could really make changes if he pursued law um so uh Houston received his um law degree from Harvard School of Law in 1922 and then a year later he got his doctorate in law so by 1923 he has a PhD in law from Harvard so very qualified um and he actually ended up becoming the head legal counsel for the NAACP. Um, nice. Yeah, and so this is this is you know he's really th- this is the crucial time of the civil rights movement. We we often think of the civil rights movement happening in the fifties and sixties, but this uh, you know this early early half of the nineteenth century is really crucial for the civil rights movement. It helps lay the foundation for those the the sit-ins, for the protests, for Martin Luther King Jr., for Malcolm X, for all those guys. And so he's serving as the lead legal counsel for the NAACP during this crucial time period. And the most important court case that he helped pave the path for and that he helped win was Brown v. Board of Education. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's like um, the big one. (laughs) It's the big one. It's the one that ended segregation or legally ended segregation. So he didn't directly win it because he died four years before it was won. But he really paved the way. When I mean paved the way, he really set everything up for success. And he, he paved the way for his mentee, who was Thurgood Marshall. Oh, my yeah. God. So Thurgood Marshall, first African-American to sit as a Supreme Court justice. He was the key lawyer, one of the head lawyers for Brown v. Board. Uh, very, very important and in- influential individual for not only African-American and civil rights history, but for just U.S. history in general. Um, so he, Houston really believed that the inequality that African-Americans were facing all kind of stemmed from unequal access to education. Education is the root of a lot of problems, and he kind of thought this unequal access to education was really what was causing a lot of problems within, you know, the society within American society. Within, you know, it, he he believed it what was it's what was causing the segregation and the hate and the um you know all the problems that African Americans were facing. So he really set out to try to to try to fix it, and he really, you know, what it really came down to was the fact that. There's there is this thing called the separate but equal clause. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so the separate but equal clause was established by the court case Plessy versus Ferguson. And what Plessy versus versus Ferguson, what that court case was, was a African American who was only like one eighth African American or something like that, if I remember cor- correctly. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, an African American male was trying to sit in the in like well the first class section of the train he was told to move to the back of the train uh and he fought it he fought against it went all the way to the supreme court and the supreme court said that the the african-american train car was even though it was separate it was technically equal to the white train car and so then we get this separate but equal clause saying that even if it's separate it's still equal. It's still equal opportunity, which we know is bullshit, right? Um, yeah, total the sep- bullshit. <laughs> the, se- the separate but equal clause just was able to perpetuate segregation. Um, so Houston knew he he needed to strike that down, but he also knew he would have a really hard time going after the whole entire American school system. So he had to really start small, and the the first place that he started was at the law schools, 
which makes sense. I mean, he, he knows it very well. He knows the politics of law schools, you know, everything. And so law schools at the time period, in order to avoid integrating, would pay for black applicants to go to other law schools. Holy shit. Yeah, they would say, we don't want you here so bad that we will pay your transportation fees or whatever you need to go to another law school. Which, Dave, as you know, you just got into law school. You're doing law school. There's a huge amount of importance that's placed on where you get your degree from. Oh, oh yeah. So, like, like yeah. the rankings come out every year, right? And... um. So this is like a little tangent really quick. The, mm-hmm. no, the rankings just came out right now, like for next year. And my school that I'm going to went from like 32nd to 25. And now it's considered a top 25 law school, a T25. Mm-hmm. And because of that next year, the like uh, accepted students credentials are going to have to be way fucking better than, yeah. the, than mine were like, and it's just the way it is. And it's crazy. Yeah. So, the you know where you get your degree from is so important and it's 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 more important honestly than like what you actually learn if that makes sense you know what oh, i mean yeah like law school's bullshit <laughs> like you could you, yeah you could be like the smartest guy in the world but if you didn't get your degree from a reputable law school it really doesn't mean anything and so houston knew this houston houston played the game of law school he has a phd in law he knew the importance that was attached to the to a law school to the name of a law school. And so he said that, you know, like, no, that's, it's not equal. That's what he argued. He said that this, even though this was separate, it was not equal. And what, what he said instead was that in order for this to be separate, but equal, the law school would have to build a parallel law school just for black applicants. Jesus so a Christ. whole entire law school. And he was very conscious of what he was doing. His whole idea was that we're just going to make it too expensive for them to segregate. That was his plan. And it's genius. It's a genius, genius plan. I'm just going to say, we're just going to make it too expensive for you to not accept black students into your school. And so by starting a law at law, at law school to kind of propose this planning, this is almost like a test run. Uh, it, it gets rid of a lot of variables that they would be facing if they went against public schools. Um, one, the majority of people who went to law school and almost, I, I think it's probably a hundred percent. I would say maybe not that quite. We're all males. Um, <laughs> so, I mean that right there. It's it's that that removes a, the, a variable that's kind of it's messed up. But one thing that people were scared of is interbreeding between black women and white men and vice versa. And it's extremely fucked up. But it's something that the the the, the civil rights uh, leaders were very conscious of. And so that's one variable variable removed. It removes the variable of children. So corrupting children and things like that. So it really removes a lot of variables that they would have to eventually overcome. But it was good for kind of like the initial test run to see how the strategy was going to go. And it worked extremely well. They were able, the judge ruled in the favor of Houston and said that, yes, this was not separate but equal. And so the law schools, not wanting to build other fucking separate law schools, you know, eventually had to integrate. Yeah, the, so money, right, the money makes them right, do it. <laughs> exactly. So right there, that's huge. But Houston doesn't stop there. Um, Houston decides to then go on to the public education system. And uh, so what he decides to do is um, he uses the same strategy. Let's make it too expensive for them to not be to not integrate. And so he takes a camera and he travels all over rural South Carolina and he documents the poor shape that these segregated schools are in 
the poor shape of these African-American schools. And he uses this as his evidence to kind of get the thing, get, get the ball rolling. And um, this was about the time that he kind of started to remove himself. He was getting older. His heart was not good. Um, and he's not, it's, you know, not far after this, it's a few years after this that he actually dies from a heart attack, but he really helps. He urges his young mentees um, to really kind of see this through. And he lays the path and he says, this is what you need to do. This is the steps you need to take to strike down separate, but equal. And it eventually happens. They eventually are able to bring this all the way to the Supreme court and Brown v. Board of education. And obviously this, you know, they ruled in the support of Brown v. Board and um and separate but equal was uh, was uh ruled unconstitutional so um he, you know what houston <laughs> he, yeah well houston was yeah he, he was he was he was a genius he was a genius lawyer who he was just so passionate for what he was doing he saw it he you know it's have you have you heard the phrase you know the best thing that the older generation can do is plant uh, uh, trees that they know they'll never get to sit under. Yeah. So that's he, what he did. That's what he did. He, he Houston died in 1950. 1954 is when Brown v. Board was uh, was passed by the Supreme Court. 1954 was when uh, Plessy versus Ferguson was ruled unconstitutional. He never got to see that happen. But Damn. he laid the foundation. He knew what he was doing was for that greater purpose. That he knew what he was doing was was you know for the benefit of his people for years and years to come. And so, I mean, he really helped to lay lay that foundation. And I mean, he's one of the most important, certainly one of the most important like law. He's like what, the policy side of the civil rights yeah, exactly. movement that he's, gets like no love, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And he's the most important person from that side um and he, he's just he's just not talked about i did not find about find out about houston until last semester when i took a um a post-1945 u.s history content class and I, I found out about this guy and it blew my mind like i was like so shocked that we don't learn about who he is because he's so important um and there's really it's sad there's not a lot of information about him um like if you go online his wikipedia page is like grossly short um, his, you know, there's not that much info about him, but he's incredibly important. Yeah, well, fucking, it should be changed, you know? Like, yeah, he, he, like, it's a really big deal. Like, thanks for sharing that stuff. It was a good scroll, man. Thank you. I appreciate that, dude. Uh, so, damn, we kind of sped through this one today, Dave. <laughs> we really did. 45 minutes. Good lord. Yeah, damn. And we're going to edit a bunch of shit out, too. Fuck. I know. Shit. Uh, anyway, so, Dave. That's it for this week. We're done. This week's done. We're, we're, we're done with this week. We're fucking done. We're done. <laughs> Let's talk about what we're doing next week. Okay, so I had this cute little fuzzy idea. Um, how do you feel, keeping with the sort of underrated unknown theme here, mm -hmm. let's tell a story of a lesser known or a lesser known story from a, like any mythology. So, talking like okay. Greek mythology, Roman mythology, which is pretty much Greek mythology, right? <laughs> Norse mythology, Asian, Chinese, Japanese, um, Native American, any kind of mythology you want. Just tell yeah. an interesting story from that mythology that people might not have heard about. I like it, dude. I like it a lot. So, that's next week on Bad History, but... I think we're done here, Stephen. I think I think nope. we can wrap it up. I think we can play the music. Uh, <laughs> I think it's time to go. 
Oh man, you wish, right? Oh no. Yeah, you fucking wish. Oh, uh no. so real quick before we go, if you want to reach out to us or find us, um Don't. you can you can go to badhistorypodcast.podbean.com. Don't you do can it. download all of our episodes there. You can check us out there. Uh iTunes, we're on iTunes, of course. No, Bad history. Uh you can leave us a rating or review. You can subscribe to us so Don't the episodes that. get sent directly to your phone. Whatever listening device you use, um, we're on uh, we're on Stitcher. We're on several other directories. Just I don't find even us. Know what Stitcher um, is? I know. Uh, we are on Facebook, Bad History Podcast. Twitter at Bad History Cast. Email us if you want to. It's Bad History Podcast at gmail dot com. Don't do and it. That's it. Ha ha. We're done. Man, I'm get, I'm getting that fucking down to like a minute. We're done. We're out of here. Jesus. Yeah. We're yeah. We're done. Um, we're out of here. Yeah, yeah, we're we're done with the show. All right, guys. Out of here. Happy history and bad, bad fuck. Fuck you. Ha- happy history and good scrolls, everyone. See you next week. See you later. Bye.